complete story from the Bills home opener at 11. Presentation. Seymour Krellborn has just found the answer to all his problems. Now isn't that this dog? Now he's got a plant with an attitude. Feed me now! Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, that's quiet. Bill Murray, and John Candy. Seymour, where did you get such a weird plant? A comedy that's not of this earth. You'll laugh till you wilt. Little shop of horrors. Next. Jay, we have a really fun show for everyone tonight. That we do, Matt. The ABC Sunday Night Movie, September 9th, 1990, was Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. We got our hands on the original broadcast, complete with the commercials, and we're going to do a big dive tonight on the Purple Stuff Podcast. I beg your pardon? Feed me! Tui, you talked! You, you open your trap. You, you sing and you sing. Feed me, crab on. Feed me now. I love doing these, Matt. They're some of the most fun shows that we do because we get to re-experience these movie nights. We've talked about how those old network broadcasts of big movies were like huge events for us as kids. Yeah. I guess there was some competition. We might have been flipping back and forth with Married with Children. But we were probably both watching that night. Absolutely. And the broadcasts were a big deal. At that point, we still had friends who maybe didn't even have cable. So to have a movie come out, nighttime, Channel 7, wow, this is a big deal. What was your relationship with this movie? 1986 movie, by the way. One time I do remember, late night, summertime, I'm at my neighbor's house. We were just kind of sacked out on the couch, watching this, probably on cable. That is one of those comfortable memories. Because everyone's just real chill, and you don't have to be too seriously in-depth with it. It's just on. It's a very intense movie in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it is so suited to you being, like, half asleep on the couch while watching it. Yeah. I think I intentionally watched it twice, and every other time it was just like, ah, it's on television, let's just watch it. Yeah, it was either that or I rented it from, like, Food Town. <laughs> oh my god, the Food Town rentals. It's a great supermarket. It's a super supermarket. Food Town presents all-natural Dolly Madison ice cream. Ma, if I'm going to tag along, we're going home with a movie. I never had ulterior motives. <laughs> This 1990 broadcast, I want to give a quick shout out to Joss H, who uploaded the entire thing to archive.org. He has given us his permission to use it on this show. You should check that out. And also his YouTube channel, The Little Shop Archive. Nice. Thank you so much. And for tonight's episode, we're not going to do a play-by-play of the movie because everyone's seen it, right? Like, I mean, yeah. if you're listening to the show, you've seen Little Shop Fars. Mm-hmm. But we are going to talk about a few things from the movie, a few things surrounding the movie, and of course, Jay, those beautiful TV commercials that aired during it. Oh, yeah. Uh, whether you're into Little Shop of Horrors, Burger King, or fucking Ragu, we got you covered tonight. <laughs> I guess we should start with the movie, though, and so you're going to kick us off, right, Jay? I'm going to kick things off with our favorite scenes. 
See? You have to talk to him. I remember the first time I went to the dentist, I thought, gosh, what a neat job. If only I were a dentist. The dentist I went to had the greatest car. He had a Corvette. And I thought, my gosh, everybody calls him doctor, and he's not really a doctor. Oh, my God. All right, Matt. So some of our favorite scenes we're going to throw out there tonight. I'll lead with my favorite scene here. Mm -hmm. And my favorite scene is the Bill Murray scene. He makes an appearance as basically... He's like a masochist and he gets off on pain. So he goes to the dentist who just happens to be <laughs> Steve Martin. So you got like two SNL legends. Next. It's me. Arthur Denton. I'm next. Next. Hmm. Does uh, that have an appointment? Ask it. I'm off duty. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. I did laugh at this because it was Bill Murray, and I'm like, oh, that's Pete Venkman. He makes me laugh. I'm going to laugh. I don't quite understand what's happening or why this is funny, but I'm going <laughs> to laugh anyway. I kind of knew that there was something dirty going on. I'll be honest with you, watching this movie again, this is probably the first time I watched it as a grown-ass adult. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I don't think I really understood what was happening in this scene. I just thought he was being weird. Like, no, he's a yeah. masochist. He's getting off on this. Yeah, exactly. So he goes to the dentist, and Oren Scrivello, Steve Martin, he's like an abusive dentist. And he, at the same time, has some kind of thing where he likes seeing people in pain, clearly. Yep. So yep. there's this whole thing going on. But Bill Murray goes to him to get some work done on his mouth, and he is just having this basically orgasmic experience. <laughs> oh, you are something special. You are something special. Come on, come on, come on. Mm. Oh. Thank you! So the role that Bill Murray played was actually played by Jack Nicholson in the film from 1960, Little Shop of Horrors. That's the role Jack Nicholson played. So when they put Jack Nicholson in the top of the video cassette boxes, he's got this one scene. He's got this one scene. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought he was like, I thought he played Rick Moranis' character. God bless Bill Murray because you can't fake these shots. Like he's sitting there with these tools in his mouth. His lips are spread like a foot wide. <laughs> yeah. And he's all into it. I'll tell you something out of, Every classic performance that Bill Murray has ever done. I want to say, to me, this is in the top five, if not the best thing that he's ever done. That is, uh, that's a, look, it's, it's, it's a wonderful scene. He, I mean, especially because it comes like from out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. It's, it's the oddest scene in the movie. Yeah. But to, to say that it's Bill Murray. It's, he's, he's, he's incredible. He's like so impatient and he's giddily waiting in the chair to go in. Ooh, candy bar, candy bar. <laughs> he's out of his mind. Right. As a kid, that's what I thought it was about. I'm like, oh, he just wants the candy bar at the end of this. So he's putting up the pain. No, he's just really into it. All right, Matt, let's hear about one of your favorite scenes. All right. But whatever you do, yes. Whatever you do, 
Okay, I don't know if I'd call this my favorite scene, but it did pop out to me on this rewatch. It's the part where Audrey 2 eats Seymour's boss. Oh, yeah. Mr. Mushnik, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I think you could argue that this was the movie's point of no return, where it went, like, full horror. Mm. It's the plant's first live kill. It's also the movie's first murder of somebody who didn't really deserve it. Well... He kind of did because he was trying to exploit Audrey, too. There were shades of gray. I'm not yes. saying that he was a fucking, he, he wasn't the Charmin angel. <laughs> but at the same time, he did give Seymour a job. He was trying to get Audrey to break up with the fucking dentist, yeah. Steve Martin, because, you know, he was abusive. He's abuser, yeah. So he wasn't all bad. And there he is. He's getting slurped up hardcore. <laughs> you could play golf for a while, say 30, 40 years. Meanwhile, I would keep the plant. Plant? Of course. You'd have to teach me how to take care of it while you're away. Give me your secret copy tips. I just love that during this whole scene, you're hearing the background singers and like, come on, come on. Oh, <laughs> that, I mean, that's actually my last point. I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but my other point is that while every song in this movie is great, I think this is the sleeper hit, Supper Time. Mm -hmm. Really haunting track, and it makes this scene pop. I do like this scene, especially when you get to see Majdik go into Audrey 2's mouth. The disgusting plant mouth that's all like fleshy and bloody. And of course, like, you know, I'm such an asshole. I'm watching this. I'm like, hmm. Um, so after the plant swallows him, where does he go? Because the plant doesn't have a big stomach there. So I'm like yeah. trying to figure it out scientifically. <laughs> Jerk. He's just going to rot there. Almost like the pit of Carcoon. Oh, slowly He's digested slowly... over a thousand He's years. Just, there you go. Yeah. Oh, fate worse than death, Jay. <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors will continue in a moment. Introducing Glade Plugins Air Freshener. It keeps on freshening and freshening and freshening. Plug it in, plug it in. New Glade Plugins freshens for 30 days. Plug it in, plug it in. Gently, constantly warms this refill cartridge for a full 30 days. Freshen 30 days, freshens out of your way. Plug it in, plug it in. After 30 days, just pop in a refill. Try Glade Plugins and plug into 30 day freshness. Matt, it's time for our first commercial break. Ah, uh, that's why we're really here, Jay. One of the ones that stood out to me and brought me right back was the commercial for Glade Plugins. Plug it in, plug, plug it, it in. in. Yeah, see? Oh, man, you know me. I'm a sucker for these jingles. And everyone used to sing plug it in, plug it in, no matter what. We were little kids. The fact that we were singing songs about plug-in perfume, come on, like this was a really effective jingle. This Glade plug-in, this was basically the mic drop to the home fragrance industry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and this was like its debut. 
the commercial isn't lying. It really did come out in 1990. Yeah, they say introducing Glade plugins. Do you remember these, like, in your home? I think it was, like, the first product like that, and it was so yeah. odd, like, when you would pass the outlet and you would see this little, like, weird thing in it. Yeah. It's like you're living in the future. So this was one of the first things that heated up and emanated these incredible scents. I mean, up until then, we had parents who were spraying aerosol cans, okay? Fucking Aquanet with potpourri. It was always gross. It never smelled good. But these, I remember actually smelling just amazing. And it has the knob where you could revolve it to the strongest power heat. And who wouldn't do that? Like, who would exactly. ever have it on a lower you, setting? You never put it on the middle. Let me put no, this on the middle. Crazy. No, no, no. You put it 100%. Who and- in their right mind? <laughs> could you imagine somebody doing that? I would slap them. You're probably supposed to change it after 30 days. Yeah. I will say we changed it maybe 80, 85 days, 90, maybe never. And this thing, the whole contraption started to melt. I tend to doubt that many people actually refilled it. They probably just kept buying new ones. By the way, I love how in this commercial, they do show how every member of the family could benefit from a Glade plug-in. Stinky sneakers. (laughs) Mom's chopping onions. The son is taking off his stinky sneakers. And then you have messy-haired dad about to kick off his morning in the bathroom. And you knew what they were getting at. It was like, wow, I can't. There was a point where you couldn't even show a toilet on television. Here they're showing this guy taking care of business. Oh, man. I start to wonder how many people were like us, where they just plugged it in and completely forgot about it. And you had all these melting Glade plug-in contraptions across the country. I don't use those currently, and it's probably for the best, because that would absolutely be, like, that would be the thing that killed me. I would die via Glade plug-in fire. 100%. (laughs) And then there's a class action lawsuit (laughs) in my memory. So uh, listen, I still use them and they have a pumpkin spice. That is awesome. Yeah, guys, you don't know this about Jay, but he's like a scent aficionado. (laughs) You can add that to the list of Jay aficionado things. (laughs) I've never gone to your place without it smelling like either a candle or I guess a Glade plug-in. You take care of all that. You don't want to be the dad in the bathroom. (laughs) Plug it in, plug it in. Daddy, daddy, where do Burger Buddies come from? Gee, Alice, uh, why don't you tell them? When we get off of this thing, let's tie the knot. Why not? Hey. Introducing new Burger Buddies. Look, Alice, they've got your pickles. Oh, Kraft, they've got your ketchup. Flame-broiled mini cheeseburgers. Oh, brother, don't tell me. You're still not going to tell us. To make a great little snack, sometimes you got to break the rules. The first commercial that grabbed my attention was, of course, the one for Burger King's Burger Buddies. Yes, I knew you were going to pick this, of course. I think I brought up Burger Bundles on the Burger King show. I don't know if I mentioned these, but these were two packs of mini-sized cheeseburgers that were joined at the bun. BK has released them more than once, but I believe 1990 was the first time. Burger Buddies, man, they were awesome. Frustrates me because this is one area... The slider market is one area where Burger King has outclassed McDonald's. 
and they just don't go to the well enough. Like, oh my God, it's so rare. It is, but it should be a mainstay. It should be a permanent part of the menu because they know how to fucking do it. And then you could put it on like a discount menu. Yes, a discount <laughs> menu, of course. <laughs> Why not? Dream big. Maybe they could throw in a free car with every order. <laughs> There is a lot of nostalgia online surrounding these. I think it's got to be at least partially because of this insane commercial campaign. It's incredible. You've got the story of two hamburgers who get married, have sex, and have twins. And the twins are the burger buddies, of course. <laughs> that is literally what happens in That's the commercial. That's exactly jet. it, yeah. The love hotel that they go to and the top hat that the burger's wearing. There's a lot of great stuff in this. It's basically robot chicken level. Like they have like the little plastic <laughs> cheeseburgers moving around, dollhouses and stuff. I don't know that this sells me on wanting to eat beef, but it was memorable. It was memorable. Yeah. I mean, and you had the parent burgers trying to explain to the kids where the baby burgers came. Exactly. I'm like, I, I, I can't believe that this is the route they were taking, but. <laughs> were they making Whopper Whoopie? They were making Whopper Whoopi for the first time ever. Incredible. They put the do not disturb sign on the door at the love nest. I loved it. They're in a boudoir. <laughs> Boinkin' Burgers in the Burger Buddies commercial. I preferred the bundles. The bundles were the trio. I like those more than the buddies, but these were good too. I think this is the way to go. If they're going to bring anything back and get a little nostalgic... They need to focus on Burger Buddies completely. Stop with the contest for the Whoppers. Just do Burger Buddies. Dude, I don't know what that fucking Whopper contest is, but it's <laughs> annoying as, as shit. Like, you got Burger King tweeting out these gross images. And they're like, look at this burger. I'm like, why? Why do I have to look at this? Mute. Meanwhile, Burger Buddies is staring him right in the face. Right, and staring me right in the face, because guess who's got one of the original rappers framed and on his office wall, Jay? <laughs> of course you It's do. me. <laughs> So Jay, this movie kind of became a pop culture sensation and its tentacles spread far and wide. Ooh, I like that. Is tentacles, uh, would that be considered an Audrey 2 pun or like tendrils maybe? Tendrils, uh, yeah. You love tendrils. I do love tendrils and humanoid tendrils. Mm, <laughs> the best toy of 1980-something. In this section, we're going to talk about a few things that aren't in the movie but definitely happened because of the movie. And I'm going to start us off with a little-known board game from 1987. This is Milton Bradley's Feed Me Game. It's the game of Feed Me. I'm a hungry plant. Feed me. Better watch your hands. Toss the dice. They'll tell you how many marbles I must eat. But if I swallow on your turn, you're out. Thanks for the treat. Feed me. He's a hungry plant. Feed me. Better watch your hands. I don't care who feeds me, just drop them in my mouth. Give me more, 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 can't get enough, oh, won't you feed me now? 
So in this game, you had to feed marbles to a big plastic Venus flytrap who looked exactly like Audrey too. Oh yeah, I don't even know how they got away with it. I was going to say that because, I mean, there is no mistaking it. They weren't even trying to pretend that this was like, you know, just a, an overgrown fly trap. It is literally Audrey too. How were there no legal entanglements? <laughs> we were outlaws back then. It's crazy because there were a few official Audrey two products. There was that coin bank. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. There was the Topps candy container. Mm -hmm. But this thing for Milton Bradley, which was unaffiliated with Little Shop of Horrors, was by far the best of the Audrey 2s on the market. Yes, I have to agree with you. I don't know if you've ever played this. I haven't. Oh, you haven't? I remember playing this. Yeah, one of my friends had it when I was a kid. Well, you know what? I'm not surprised because you had friends as a kid. <laughs> I can't pull that magic out of my hat in every show, Jay. <laughs> I could just wait for one to pop up on eBay, and they do from time to time, but they're pretty expensive. If you wanted your own toy Audrey 2 back then, this was the closest that you were going to get, really. It was almost a mistake for Milton Bradley to release this as a game. Just, like, put it on a fucking blister card and put it by the action figures. That was the way to go with this. A lot of times, games like that looked more fun in the commercial. Judging by the eBay auctions, the whatever mechanism in the plant's mouth that made it snap, yeah, very easy to break. Mm -hmm. So you have to adhere to the J policy. It goes right into the DTOLF and you never <laughs> touch it again. <laughs> yeah, it's a good policy. It is. Not bad. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to you, Matt, about this cartoon show that they did. Meet the new kid on Fox Saturday morning. I'm Seymour Crowborn. Oh, yeah, a weenie. And his best friend, a great big hungry plant. All we need now is the secret ingredient. Get the show that'll bite you right on your funny bone. Little Shop, next on Fox. Don't you dare miss it. In 1991, there was a short-lived animated series on Fox Kids called Little Shop obviously inspired by the story of Little Shop of Horrors. The characters were skewed to be younger, about 13 years old, but the concept was the same. Seymour, his mildly bloodthirsty but still G-rated plant, Audrey too, and his crush, Audrey. Sort of the same scenario where he's in love with Audrey, but her father is uh, Mr. Mushnick. They make some changes from the movie, but I think in a larger sense, you're underselling the point that they made a fucking Saturday morning cartoon out of this movie. Junior, you're alive. What do I look like? I'm made out of plastic. But, but, but you're talking to me. Nobody ever talks to you, huh? Well, I'll talk to you, but keep it a secret. I watched the, at least the first episode earlier, and boy, they kind of neutered the original plot. You have to stop this, Junior. If Mr. Mushnick's plants start revolting, I'll get blamed for it. If you don't promise to behave, I'll I'll have to overwater you. I don't think you can do it, Seymour. Why? Because I'm just a nerd? No, because I'm holding the hose. And it really just kind of left it to be, for me, a little bit dull. But there was a lot of songs in the show. And I remember as a kid, because of course I gave it a shot. But I didn't really like that they did all this music in it. Because I wasn't watching cartoons to get a musical. Unless it was Jim. Wake up! It's time to get busy. Rise up! 
realize your reality. People been running things far too long. If you think you gotta take it, brothers and sisters, you're wrong. Any kid that was in the Target demo when this was on television definitely had not seen the movie. So I don't understand this like reliance on the movie's tropes. Like you don't really need to make it a musical show because nobody fucking knows that it was originally. I feel like watching it in a cartoon with this kind of quirky animation, it just it didn't hit home for me. The animation style was it was typical of Fox Kids at that point in time, but it also was evocative of like a 1970s animated PSA about cheese or something like it, it, just that lo-fi intentionally miscolored nothing's really neat yeah the four food groups right exactly yeah. so it's a stylistic choice and i'm sure it made the animation a lot easier to handle but at the same time this wasn't the real ghostbusters home home yeah, I'm going to say uh, it's going to be a no for me, Doug. <laughs> so this show lasted 13 episodes, which in Saturday morning cartoon terms means that it was a flop. Yeah, short-lived. I am curious. It seemed to me like they were struggling to fill even that first episode. Yeah. What yeah. the hell was going what? on by episode 13? <laughs> I, I don't even want to know. Although I have to say, I have to admit, I mean, I did watch this as a kid. I just I don't remember it that much because it wasn't memorable. <laughs> I remember seeing promos for it and thinking that it was interesting that it existed. Yeah. But by that point, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not making time for this now. Yeah. I'm much more likely to watch it now. There'd be like a Fox executive coming into your home when you're a little kid. Matt, would you watch this show? Not really, but catch me in 40 years. <laughs> we'll talk then. <laughs> will continue in a moment. Get ready! It's Chevy Mania! It's your chance to take on the title on a new Chevy or Geo. As your Monroe County and hometown Chevy dealers take down Ford and the others with unbeatable savings. Now save up to $1660 on Chevy Lumina and over $2600 on Chevy full-size trucks. I can't look, it's brutal. Chevy Media is clobbering Ford. This is the final round, Chevy Mania. Going on now at your Monroe County and hometown Chevy dealers. Let's head to another commercial break, Matt, and I'm going to start things off with one that really popped out to me, and this was a car commercial for Chevy, and it was hosted by Mean Gene Okerlund, the announcer from the WWF at the time. You picked this one quickly and in something of a panic, and Jay wasn't going to take the Mean Gene car commercial from you. Come on. <laughs> you knew you got this one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I loved Mean Gene. He was like the Regis Philbin of the WWF, even though he wasn't like wild and crazy. He played this character. He was just so into it. All right, Macho Man Randy Savage guaranteeing that the honky tonk man will pay for what he did to Elizabeth. It should be interesting. The sight of Mean Gene in his tuxedo against a backdrop of like neon colored foil to me, is the classic image of wrestling in the 80s. Oh, I loved it. He was just so great. Anyway, he shows up on this car dealership commercial. Chevy Mania! Chevy Mania! Yeah, so the font, it says Mean Gene. It looks like the SummerSlam font. 
And in the background, you see the Chevy Lumina. And there's two wrestlers who are going at it. They're locking up. And to me, and I'm not sure you could correct me if I'm wrong, one of them was definitely the Brooklyn Brawler. One of them was the Brooklyn Brawler. Once I recognized him, I'm like, well, the other one's got to be somebody, too. I think too. it was Jim Brunzel. I was going to say, was that one of the Killer Vs? We figured it out. We've got a blockbuster lineup for you here this week on Wrestling Challenge. Our feature matchup, Killer Vs taking on Demolition. It's going to be a beauty. This wasn't just Mean Gene cutting a fucking side deal. This was a WWF-sanctioned thing. You're pitching new cars to wrestling fans. I don't know if like that's like the best audience. <laughs> what meaning that they rode their bicycles? Well, I, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like first of all, it's a lot of kids, and second of all, yeah. like you're excluding every non-wrestling fan by having wrestlers in your car commercial. Do you think Ma on the couch was going to be moved by the Mean Gene Chevy Mania commercial? Nope. My mom, yeah. <laughs> no, but I was going to say, you have to remember the Northeast is such a hotbed for wrestling yeah. that I think it is different, especially back then. This is the era where we're getting like pretty regular Saturday night's main events. Yeah. They're very much in the zeitgeist. And who better to represent them than Mean Gene Oakland? It's 1990, Matt. Let me just paint the picture for you. WWF in 1990, all right? So you got Hulkamania on pause because Hulk Hogan, he's filming Suburban Commando, right? So the WWF champion was the ultimate warrior. And we also saw the short-lived Battle Cat in action. Ted DiBiase was feuding with Dusty Rhodes with Sweet Sapphire. Then you had the Hart Foundation were the tag team champions. IC champ was Kerry Von Erich. Still going. Nothing outlasts the Energizer. <laughs> they keep going and going. <laughs> sorry, Jay. Sorry to cut you off. That was the Energizer Vani. <laughs> Which just so happens to be the star of my next commercial pick. Now available for the first time, the complete recordings of Olga Montero and her magic harp, including such classics as Still Going, Nothing Outlasts the Energizer. They keep going and going. There were a million of these, Jay, in the late 80s and early 90s. It was always the same setup. You have this really dopey commercial that would come on, and just as you started to realize that it was probably a parody, boom. Energizer Bonnie rolling right in. He was a con artist, that Energizer Bunny. Well, the conceit, I guess, is that he's so fucking turbocharged from these goddamn batteries that they can't even contain him in his own commercial slots. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. It was like in spite of himself. He's like pulling the wool over our eyes. Exactly. So they were real commercials. I never realized that. <laughs> yes, this, this one for Olga, the magical harpist. The magic harp. So they didn't do it in Little Shop of Horrors, but my favorite thing that Energizer did with this campaign is they would run the parodies back to back. Yes. You would have like the Olga's magic harp. You let your guard down because you just saw an Energizer Bunny commercial. And then there's the no next way they one, could do it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, <laughs> who the hell would do such a thing? And then like the next commercial, he breaks in again. Fucking awesome. Still going. Nothing outlasts the Energizer. They keep but man, the Energizer Bunny, like, that was our dude. He was really famous for, like, five minutes. No, it was longer than five minutes. I, no, I'm talking, like, on top of the world. Like, not everybody gets that level of fame. Sometimes you'd be watching TV at, like, two in the morning, really boring reruns or whatever, news, whatever. The Energizer Bunny would pop up and it would be like, I'm alive again. Yeah. 
<laughs> he had that effect. He was like the battery. If we had that now, we wouldn't need all this caffeine. No, and it's ironic that I'm saying that as I'm putting down the now complete Red Bull that's next to my already complete coffee. Listen, we have to talk to Energizer because this is a perfect time for an Energizer Bunny energy drink. Oh, pink lemonade, pink Energizer Bunny energy bubble gum. drink. Pink oh, bubble gum. I, I know you what like are bubble you gum. You, why did your mind go to pink lemonade? It could be bubble, bubble gum. Bubble gum energy drink is going to taste fucked up and bad. No, and you so know good. it. So good. Bubble gum should not be carbonated that way. It's going to mm. sting. <laughs> in America. Thousands of you eating. That's what you had in mind all along, isn't it? No, Sherlock. Sherlock. We're not talking about one hungry plant here. We're talking about world conquest. And I want to thank you. You're not going to get away with this. Your kind never does. <laughs> all right, Jay, getting back to the movie, something that definitely was not part of the ABC Sunday Night Broadcast was the film's original ending which we have to shoe into this show somehow, Jay. Oh, it was imperative that we discussed it, yep. Can you imagine, like, there are people listening to this who have seen Little Shop of Horrors plenty of times, and they have no idea that this exists. Their minds are going to be blown. Absolutely blown, and it's definitely worth seeking out, and you're going to want to jump to it after we talk about it. So the theatrical ending, the one that everyone has seen, you have Seymour saving Audrey from the plant, then he electrocutes Audrey too, and then Seymour and Audrey go off to live in the little house happily ever after. What some people don't know is that that ending was the result of reshoots because the film was made with a completely different ending that was kind of bashed in test screening, so they completely switched it up. Yeah, they're like, oh, let's give it the Hollywood ending to make people happy. Well, I mean, it's so funny because when you see the original ending, you realize how tacked on the theatrical one is. Like, I mean, they basically just like, oh, God, just throw whatever in there. Yeah. Because in the original ending, which has been featured now on DVDs, I assume the Blu-rays too, it's also right on YouTube. It is much closer to what they did in the play, which is that Audrey actually dies. Then Seymour gets eaten during the big showdown. And then the last five minutes of the film, Jay... It's a bananas montage of these giant Audrey 2s fucking wrecking the world. Yeah, it's basically like a Godzilla movie, but with giant alien plants. It's exactly like that. It was, to me, it was like, man, this vibe is what I would have wanted from a Dinosaurs Attack movie. Yes! Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> this is completely done. Like, they had made this entire thing, which was the product of God knows how much effort. They must have been so heartbroken to change it. I think it might have been 2011 or 2012 and they released it on a Blu-ray or DVD that I bought. Watching this through the director's cut, 
it's obvious this is the film. Like right. this is what they wanted to release, you know. Right. I mean, it, it's such a shame because the filmmakers they really didn't want to change it. Right. And you could see why because I can't even conceive of how much work it was to do that fucking five minute scene. It's so epic. It's so epic and it's so crazy. And at the same time, to change it to what they changed it to, it kind of like completely alters the message of the movie. Oh, I know. You know, when you're making a movie and you have these uh, big time producers and companies involved, you got to go along with what they say. Yeah. And they're at the mercy of the audiences, the test audiences. But these are two different endings and they're not even comparable, right? They're just completely bashing through apartment buildings and just eating people. One of them is pretending to be a tunnel and the train is going right into yes. his mouth. <laughs> This scene, it just keeps going. Just when you think it's probably going to end, there's more of them, like, bashing through walls right. continuously. So, <laughs> you know, I, the the thought on Wikipedia is where I got this. Like, the filmmakers basically said that the main reason they had to reshoot is because the audience did not want Seymour and Audrey to die. Yeah. And I can get that for sure. But I also just don't think any mainstream audience, whether those characters lived or not, was ever going to be ready for, like you're saying, this extremely protracted scene of utter <laughs> chaos. <laughs> There was, like we said earlier, sort of a sereneness to this film. Yeah. And when you look at the original ending, that is not a word that comes to mind at all. <laughs> This is what the movie is supposed to be because it builds up to this ending. If you were the studio, knowing what you know now, did they make the right call making them do this? You know, I am not the type of person who likes to listen to hordes of people who <laughs> like, I don't give a shit. I'm doing if I want to have this plan, eat the Statue of Liberty, I'm doing it. <laughs> so you would have left it in. I would have left it. Yeah. I actually don't think I would have. I think they made the... I, I hate to say it, but I do think they made the right move. Well, all right. So I've seen this off-Broadway like multiple times. And when you're experiencing this, even if it's like a low-budget production, it's still more impactful. And I think that's where the difference lies because I think even Frank Oz alluded to it where you see this in the theater, not a movie theater, when you go to a movie, there's an expectation that you're going to get a happy Hollywood ending. But when you go to the theater, anything could happen. Like everyone could die, and that's part of the play. And you're like, that's how you go home, all sad. Totally true. But again, this is uh, something I read on Wikipedia. It's not like I pulled this out of some like textbook. So I yeah. don't, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I did deep research. But I believe the filmmaker said the reason the play works is because after you get that horrible bad ending. 
all of the cast comes out and takes a bow. So you you do leave happy. Right. I kind of understand. I don't think this was ever going to fly for a mainstream audience, but I'll tell you this. Had they left that in with our circles, the horror circles, oh, all those genre fans. Forget about it. As big as this movie already is, could you imagine what its reputation would be if it had maintained that fucking berserk ending? It would be just over the top. Listen, this is like the whole gift horse situation because you already got greenlighted this fucking wackadoo movie about an alien plant who eats people. You know, you, you got to play ball a little bit. You can't be that crazy in the final stretch. Beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, come on. You got enough out of them. They're already rolling the dice on this fucking insane concept. If they did this and they did it in 3D, oh my God. What does surprise me, and you know, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm sure someone's going to tell us that it has happened, that there haven't been any like theatrical releases of it with the original ending. Like, that's such an Alamo thing to do. Yeah, they should do that in a couple of months. I want to go see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll go. I'll maybe go with you if I'm ready yeah. to leave the house. Yeah, by yeah. <laughs> so obviously the TV broadcast maintained the happier theatrical ending, though they did make one change for network television. Did you catch it? Um, I don't know. Did I? I might have. So in the theatrical cut, when Audrey 2 is being electrocuted, right before he explodes, he screams out, Oh, shit! So, in the broadcast cut, yes. you got the same scene, but instead he delivers his new classic line. Oh, shucks! <laughs> oh, that was one downfall of the broadcast TV premieres and stuff like that. Oh, I night. mean, it was, but I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. Because then, when you're quoting to your friends, and you're like, nah, I thought he said, oh, shucks. Then you look like an idiot. <laughs> There's a whole cadre of people out there right now that still think he's yeah. saying, oh, shucks. Now that we have that information, you could just be like, no, I'm quoting from the broadcast version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a broadcast hipster. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions? 
All right, Jay, I think we can squeeze in one more commercial break. Yes. My last pick isn't actually a commercial. It's one of the This Is Your Brain on Drugs TV spots. Absolute classic. Yes, the campaign where drugs are compared to frying pans, brains are compared to eggs, and brains on drugs are compared to eggs frying in said pan. I don't know why I'm making this so complicated. <laughs> yeah, because it's it a very simple. It is. Oh, like, I'm, I'm definitely overcomplicating things, but it's a very famous campaign. Yeah. I believe it started in 1987. So it was a few years old by 1990 already. And it was such a popular PSA that it garnered sequels. It did. So they have this guy, John Roselius, who evidently was an actor of considerable stature, but I only knew him from these spots. Oh, I, I had no you. idea he was a, f- a famed actor. Yeah, he was. Well, I mean, he's been in stuff. I don't know if I would say he was mega famous, but yeah. he was in like a whole fucking slew of them. Yeah. And then later on in the 90s, they had that. Who was that? Rachel Lake Cook, right? Oh, yeah. When she got all crazy. This is what your family goes through and your money and your future. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> this was so in the zeitgeist. Yeah, they even mimicked it in Freddy's Dead with Johnny Depp. This is your brain on drugs. Questions? Yeah! What are you on? Looks like a frying pan and some eggs to me. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, it's been spoofed. If you look at any sitcom from this era, they all have a joke about this campaign. By the way, I have to say, though, not like a huge egg guy, but I always really liked the way those eggs looked in these spots. (laughs) Well, those eggs were feeling good. But I'll tell you, you mentioned this actor. This guy was as serious as a heart attack. He was like... Your neighbor friend's scary dad. Yeah. You know, you knew not to play on that guy's lawn. Yeah, like he'll joke around, but then he says something like very unsettling. (laughs) (laughs) For the last fucking time, guys. (laughs) To think about how effective the PSAs were back then compared to now. Now they're just obnoxious. They're talking about how you have metal robots in your lungs or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. But also... When these started airing, they were like a massive step up from the kind of like cheesy, just say no PSAs. Right. Like this was pretty edgy shit in its day. And you're right. I don't think there's really been one that as simply or effectively said it since then. But I'll tell you something. As effective as these PSAs were, people are still doing drugs. So they weren't doing their job, these PSAs. The problem has not been solved. Let's be real. (laughs) But my issue with these PSAs all along has been that they always were kind of targeted at a generation that didn't really do drugs yet. Exactly. When I was watching Rescue Rangers, it's not like I was going out, you know, trying to hit up my dealer. Exactly. I mean, I'm watching fucking Chip and Dale. I don't got access to crack. (laughs) Exactly. This is what I think of. So at the end, they say, any questions? And you know who I'm thinking of? David S. Pumpkins. Well, congratulations, Jay. I don't think you've ever said anything on the show that is more of a Jay-sounding thing to say. Tonight, a sauce that's chunkier than ever before. Ragu chunky garden style. Mom, how chunky can it be? (laughs) 
chunky. Ragu chunky garden style. When it comes to sauce, there's only one question. So Matt, let me tell you about this commercial for Ragu. It really hit home for me. It has Christine Taylor, who was in Hey Dude, and played Marsha Brady in the Brady Bunch films. Oh, fuck. Okay, so I knew she looked familiar. I did not make... I wouldn't have known Hey Dude. Okay. I actually thought Hey Dude was a cartoon. What the fuck is Hey Dude? <laughs> it was on Nickelodeon. They were like oh. on a ranch. It was great. <laughs> shit. That, that's like out of my nostalgia <laughs> wheelhouse. All right. But, so but Brady Bunch, yeah, great. Well, yeah, and Ragu is the tomato sauce. And this commercial was basically Christine Taylor with her family. Wow. It's a treasure trove, okay? I love this because you always manage to do this. You throw one at me. and I'm like, why the fuck is he picking this? And then I watch it. I'm like, whoa. This is a freaking this masterpiece. This is nuts. This is nuts. Okay. So they're going to eat their Italian feast. And the mother is telling her daughter, Christine Taylor, listen, this is the chunkiest tomato sauce. It's the chunkiest garden style tomato sauce you're ever going to have in your life, right? And she's like, come on, Ma, tell me another one. How chunky can it be, Ma? Yeah, exactly. How chunky can it be? No, I want to quote Mom directly because I think it's important to. Yeah, yeah. She sits down at the table. She brings the tray over. And the first words out of her mouth in this kind of like ominous tone are, tonight, a sauce that's chunkier than ever before. <laughs> Sure, like, who the fuck talks like this? <laughs> like this epic reveal. Yeah. The whole commercial does feel a little disjointed because you shoot from that scene when they're eating at the dinner table to this like sunrise, a family picking vegetables in this fantasy farmland. There is no connectivity. Like they try to shoot it in a way that implies that it's Christine Taylor's daydream. Why the fuck is she dreaming about, like, a tomato-heavy Anne of Green Gables? It makes no sense. That's exactly what it is, but it's, like, a completely different family. It's not even like it's her. Who the fuck are these people? Yeah, there's little girls running around with baskets of produce. Like, they found the golden ticket. And then emblazoned on the screen, it's more mushrooms. I actually take issue because I don't think you can call it a chunky sauce just because you're throwing non-sauce elements in it. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't? I mean, no, no, I for all I know, that. that's a watery sauce with extra shit thrown in. <laughs> There's like the most satisfying climax to this whole thing because Christine Taylor finally admits, yup, that's really chunky. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best ending to any commercial ever. By the way, judging by the lighting, they're having this ragu fucking chunky sauce dinner at like one in the afternoon yes it's one of those mid-afternoon pasta carbo loads even that about the commercial is weird like there's not <laughs> one aspect of it that is at all sane when they had to do line readings when they sat around the table like did nobody say can we punch this up even a little bit <laughs> or just maybe it sounds a little dirty <laughs> tonight a sauce that's chunkier than ever before <laughs> Ma, I don't believe you. It's not that chunky. It can't How be. Chunky no can way, it no be, way it's that chunky. You're overpromising the chunk level. I know it. <laughs> like, to get offended that your mom's sauce is usually not chunky, it's like, God, your sauce is always so boring and non chunky. Judging by my past dinner experiences, <laughs> you're talking out of the side of your ass, Ma. <laughs> Did you ever eat this sauce, this chunky ragu? 
I don't think we ever really had Ragu in the house. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, maybe Ragu is a starter, but this wouldn't be your finale sauce, and that would have definitely not been the case here. I'll tell you, though, my father, which everybody, they'll say, give me more Jay's dad stories. Well, he'll eat any tomato sauce that's put in front of him, so if I gave him a jar of this, he would just start eating it. <laughs> give him that like a bag of Tostitos, he'd be in heaven. <laughs> What a great time talking about the broadcast of Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, uh, and and also about things that have nothing to do with Little Shop of Horrors, like <laughs> Ragu and uh, Bean Jean and whoever the hell I brought up. Chevy Mania, baby. Chevy Mania. That's yeah. what everyone wants out of a Little Shop of Horror show. <laughs> so we had a great time talking about it. Very nostalgic to us. Do you think that this film still holds up to this day? It totally holds up. And it's like probably one of my favorite films in terms of practical effects. Oh, the effects are so good. Yeah. There are parts where you're like, knowing that they're all practical, you just can't even figure out how some of these things were done. They gave Audrey too life, the voice and the way they made it move. It just had this effect that made it seem so real. Missy Mo, feed me all night long. <laughs> That's right, boy. You can do it. Be Missy So uh, we can't really do our thing. You mentioned to challenge each other to get a piece of trivia from the film that we may not know. Did you accept my challenge? I did accept your challenge. And I'm hoping that it's not the same one that you pulled out. I really doubt it. <laughs> okay. I really, really fucking doubt it. Okay. This one is obvious. I think you know it because it's been around. But I'm going to do it anyway, just because it's up my alley. And that is that Frank Oz, he did not want Cindy Lauper to play Audrey, but the producers wanted Cindy Lauper. And she was like number one to be cast. And she couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts. I actually did not know that. And I'm trying to envision the film. I can very much see Rick Moranis and Cindy Lauper opposite each other. Yeah. I wouldn't trade What's-Her-Face from this movie for anything. Yeah, Ellen Green. Audrey is one of my favorite movie characters. I love that character. Oh, Audrey's awesome, yeah. That voice, Jay. <laughs> and there's like certain parts of when she's singing the songs where she just gets so into it. Oh, that, my God. <laughs> you know? yeah, that suddenly Seymour, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not her voice. <laughs> suddenly Seymour. <laughs> I'm like, wow, she could belt him out. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, she, I would definitely agree with you on that. Interesting. Cindy Lauper and Little Shop of Horrors. No, I did not know that. Yeah. But did you know this? The women, the three singers who appear throughout the movie, the Greek chorus. Yes. That poor child suffers from low self-image. You got a point. She got a problem. The actresses who played them were Tisha Campbell, Tachina Arnold, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and Michelle Weeks. Did you realize that the first of those two, Tisha and Tashina, they starred on Martin together? Yes. 
there's no way that Little Shop of Horrors was not discussed on that set every fucking day of production throughout its entire run. And that just adds a new wrinkle. When you do your Marn rewash, you have to imagine those two characters talking about Little Shop. <laughs> they're just like breaking for 10 minutes. All they're doing is like, God, this is nothing like Little Shop. I wish we were back on that set. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun, but it's no Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> You're right. I did not know that. <laughs> I figured not. I was fairly confident that your point of trivia would have nothing to do with the recurring <laughs> cast of Martin. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was really a good piece of trivia. I enjoyed that. But we want to thank you guys for listening and remind you that we are on Patreon. That's right, over on patreon.com slash purple stuff, we are doing an even deeper dive into this broadcast, Jay. Yeah, we'll be doing some extra commercials that appear in this broadcast. Four more commercials will be discussed. The bonus show is live now, and P.S., if it helps to draw you in, we're going to be doing a Little Caesars taste test on that show, so you might want to sign up. That's the no-carb version, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid not, Jay. Oh, You're going to have man. to suffer for your art with this one. <laughs> well, I had a great time talking to you about this, Matt. Little Shop of Horrors. And yeah, we'll see you guys next time. This has been the Purple Stuff Podcast. I am Jay from Sludge Central. I am Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. Feed me, Seymour. Suddenly Sludge Central. <laughs> This is Charles Gibson. And Joan London. Tomorrow, reaction to the Bush-Gorbachev summit. Also, a candid talk with Kitty Dukakis plus Meryl Streep tomorrow on Good Morning America. Tomorrow night, a plot worth Mideast millions pushes MacGyver over the edge and leaves him hanging on a thread. Watch the Weekend Report tonight on most of these ABC stations. Shake a lane, shake, 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 shake,